Welcome back to Dating Games, the modern relationships podcast. I'm your host, Bobby Temps, and our guest this week is known for writing on all things sex and relationships, currently as senior writer with Cosmopolitan UK, plus literally wrote the book on bisexuality. Please welcome Lois Shearing. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be chatting to you. And before this, I got to have a good talk of your writing. And you're not only so articulate about relationships, but the other thing is you're great at writing in such a kind of analytical, informative way, which I appreciate when so often the way dating can be discussed can be like very opinion based. And it's quite hard to sort of tell, okay, what's that person's experience versus what is part of the dating landscape? I mean, firstly, thank you for such lovely compliments for my writing. (laughs) But also, yeah, I really kind of believe that dating is really fun, that relationships are fun, and everyone loves talking about it. But also, it is something that affects and is affected by not only, like, every other part of our life, but by a lot of, like, the other bigger things. Like, it's affected by politics, by economics, like, by sexuality, by gender, by, like, all of these different things, religion. And I think it's a topic that is really fun to talk about, but also has a lot of seriousness about it. You can tell a lot about the world or about someone by the way in which they talk about dating or the way in which like dating trends are going. Yeah, yeah, it's very much one of those topics that seems to intersect with everything, which is both like exciting and means we have endless things to talk about. But then it also means having a lighthearted podcast about relationships. Yeah, it, it can be like a funny experience and a lot of that humor does come from the weird things that can happen on dates it does often link to you know bad behavior that are to do with societal issues and so like finding your way through that and then still trying to remind yourself of I should be having a fun time on dates is tricky yeah absolutely like you said it links to so many things which for me is great because it means there's so many different angles to come at it from when I'm when I'm writing about it yeah absolutely it keeps us busy and to start off, would you mind sharing a dating story of your own? Yeah, so when you asked me to think of one of these, I was like, oh my God, I have like five. But I think my my main like confusing slash funny one was a date I went on a couple of years ago. And so we met at a night called Beach, which used to be a bisexual dance night that used to run in London, which was, in my opinion, the best bisexual dance night in London and we should bring it back. We met there and then we agreed to kind of go on a date. We were going to meet in Chinatown to get some food. But we couldn't find anywhere to eat, so we ended up in Pizza Hut. Mm-hmm. Already, things were not going too great. So we went to Pizza Hut and then she suggested a drink afterwards. She suggested She Bar, which is the last open lesbian bar in London. There's only one last. But it's also a bit more of like a club vibe than a bar. So I was kind of like, it's a strange choice, but like, fuck it, I guess. So we went to Shebel and we're having a fight time, but then she bumped into like an old flatmate of hers who was having her birthday party there. And she went off to like talk to his flatmate for a while and I was kind of just left with my drink and was a bit like, this is a bit odd. And then she came back and was like, do you want to just hang out with my old flatmate and her friends because they're having a birthday party? By this point, I was kind of like, fine. This date's not going very well. And, and this was a first date? Yeah, yeah, yeah. God. Okay, <laughs> um, yep, go on. It's <laughs> made up from here. Saying so we spent the night with her ex-flatmate and some friends, just dancing, drinking, whatever. I got quite drunk. It was a Thursday. I had work the next morning. So I got to about 1 a.m. And I was like, look, I really have to go home. 
Like, I shouldn't have even stayed out this late. And she kind of said to me, like, okay, I'll, like, walk you out, but I'm probably going to come back here and, like, hang out with them more. And I was just like, yeah, that's fine. Like, obviously, the date was, in my opinion, dead by that point. Mm-hmm. And she was like, okay, I'll just tell them. So she started, like, talking to them. And for some reason, she brought up to this old flatmate of hers, like, in this bit where she was supposed to be saying goodbye, she brought up to the old flatmate, like, oh, I'm so sorry that your engagement got called off, by the way. I saw on Facebook that your engagement got called off. <laughs> and the old flatmate, like, flipped out and started yelling at her, like, in this in this bar. Not bringing up Facebook <laughs> receipts <laughs> during a goodbye. That's a real, like, drop a bomb and run. <laughs> Wow. And then she also like started arguing back. So they started having this full on argument like in Shiva. And the housemate, the ex housemate, was like, You ruined my birthday. Like, I didn't invite you to this for a reason. And you're just here, blah, blah, blah. And I was just standing there with my coat, like, kind of frozen in the spot. Like, oh my God, I don't even know what to do. Like, do I just leave? Do I wait? And then eventually, after like having this full on argument, the girl I was on a date with like turned to me and was like, Okay, I'm going to leave with you then. And we just, like, left. The housemate, whose birthday it was, was, like, crying at this point. Anyway, we, like, walked to the station together. Obviously went our separate ways. And then she texted me the next day and was like, I had a really great time. Do you want to hang out again? And I I got to be honest, I just never text back. Because what do you say to that? Like, no, you've got into an argument with someone on our date. Of course, I don't want to hang out again. Yeah. Oh, wow. And that, <laughs> and that feels premeditated somehow to me. Is it? I mean, I wasn't there, but something about the combination of turning up to this thing she wasn't invited to, and she just happened to go there on a night where she was on a date, and it doesn't really make sense for her to have gone there unless maybe this is the reason. And then the fact, the potential tactic of the way and the timing she presented her Facebook observations. I don't know. I don't know about her. It never occurred to me that it wasn't a coincidence. I just kind of assumed. Yeah, maybe I'm hoping it is because that at least explains why she thought like, oh yeah, Pizza Hut and Lesbian Club vibe. That that made sense together for a first date. And you're also going to meet my ex-flatmate who I have beef with, you know. If it really was such an accident, would you not avoid her or maybe go somewhere else? Yeah, so Pizza Hut I think genuinely was... like an accident we had tried a few like places in Chinatown and Mm -hmm. everywhere was like busy and I think she was maybe vegan and we couldn't find anywhere that had a good vegan menu some people would argue Pizza Hut doesn't have a good vegan (laughs) or good menu full stop wow bless her what a woman but you know I think that happens a lot where you get on a date and you're trying to like go in with the best of intentions and have an open mind and then you you're bet with some wild behavior and like you can just find yourself going along with it and sometimes then us going along with it is read to the other person as well they didn't run from me they must be having a great time (laughs) yeah I definitely got kind of like by time we were in she bar and I'd had a few drinks I was kind of just treating it as like a bit of a night out with strangers basically were you tempted to start taking notes yeah, I was like, I'm having a good time. I'm sad to with people, like, it's fine. I'd kind of forgotten almost that I was on a date by that point. Yeah. Until she then got into an argument with the ex-flatmate. And I was suddenly very aware that she was arguing with her ex-flatmate while I supposedly, our, like, date or partner or whatever, was just, like, standing in the background. Like, I can't even imagine what my face must have looked like. <laughs> Bless you. By contrast, do you have a good dating story? You said you have loads, so... 
Yeah, so I'm like non-monogamous. So I go on a lot of like, I go on more first dates than I guess monogamous people do. I've had a lot of like very positive first dates as well. Like generally anything that's casual is positive for me. Yeah, dating in lockdown where you just went on walks. I found that always quite nice. Oh, did you? I found that difficult. Maybe it's, I don't know, something about it felt quite kind of confining or performative because I think we were, perhaps it was the stage in which I was dating because I started this podcast around, I guess, the sort of the first lifting of a lot of the restrictions. And so I think it was so like in the forefront of your mind, all the things you're allowed and not allowed to do, that it sort of would take the fun out of it a bit. You're like, you know, you're still there being like, this feels like it's breaking the rules, even though I did read them this morning, you know? Yeah. I guess I know there's definitely that weird period where it's like, we can go for it on a date or a couple of dates where we go for walks, together, get coffee, but we can't progress it to like, anything physical or going to each other's houses so we are just kind of hanging out at a distance yeah well that was it it was either you're breaking the law unless you're on a socially distanced date or it's serious enough for you to move in together like (laughs) they're your two options of speed and I remember one of the funniest bits of the the entire thing so for the for the start of the pandemic I was still living in the UK and Dr. Jenny Harries was one of the the scientific experts that would be giving advice, you know, in the government briefings. And at one point, she got a question about relationships. So if you're living separately to your partner, when the lockdown comes in, you know, what do you do? And is that the option to move in together? And then she kind of froze, bless her, because she's like, well, the last thing I expected to be doing was giving relationship advice, but tread that delicate line between well, these are the rules and they are quite strict, but equally, I'm not going to tell you whether you should move in with your partner. <laughs> like, I'm not insured for that decision. Bless her. Kind of like, <laughs> nicely to what we were just talking about, about how dating intersects with so many different parts of life, that this poor doctor is just trying to give us advice on how to survive corona and is suddenly having to give dating advice to people because, you know, even during pandemics and we're all you know, worried about our jobs and our health. People are also still worried about their love life and their relationships and, like, how to navigate them. So, Yeah, yeah. And that was something that I very much worked into the marketing of this show because I was like, look, I, I'm aware that we're launching it at a strange time because we were launching it at a time when dating was kind of off the table in the conventional sense. And yet I was like, you know what, we're going to try and lean into the humour here on the irony. But then also there, there maybe is something to people can kind of stock up their kind of dating theories and advice and perspectives at a time when they're not doing it. And I definitely felt that I benefited from that myself as well when we got back to being social and the, the horrible phrase, the new normal. And yeah. and then you're like, oh, no, I actually kind of have forgotten how to like be around people. You're there like on a train being like, this feels strange. I feel like I'm doing it wrong and yet I can't articulate how I'm meant to be a stranger on a train correctly. Yeah, I remember like when obviously for a while it was like buses, you could only sit, like they had limited capacity. I remember the first time like sitting next to a stranger again on a bus and obviously kind of like, you know, your arms are touching and I was like, oh my God, this is like the most intimacy I've had yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're like, ooh. <laughs> I remember like, buy you dinner or something. <laughs> yeah, buy me dinner first. 
<laughs> and one of the things you talk about in your writing is sex. And this is something that is this sorry, excuse me for just reminiscing about the start of the podcast for a moment, but we as we're on the topic, this was something that kind of surprised me when I started this show because I was so ready to be really delicate about asking people about their perspectives on sex. And if anyone sort of brought anything up, I'd be like, oh, well, maybe they just are mentioning it in passing and that's the intention. And I quickly learned, much like mental health, which I also work in, people are so keen to talk about these topics. They just need the right person who's going to have the conversation and have the conversation maturely. And do you find any parallels there when in your work where you're writing about sex and do people talk to you about it differently knowing that yes they do just <laughs> <laughs> things that I a steep learning curve that I had and some boundaries I've had to put in place and learn how to put in place is sometimes I would tell people like in a bar or whatever like oh, I'm a sex writer and they would forget all social etiquette and immediately start telling me about their sex life or asking me about my sex life and I'd have to be like no I'm still a stranger you know, you're giving me very intimate details here that I haven't asked for. So yeah, people, I think you're right, that people do really want the excuse and opportunity to talk about it. Like, of course, everyone loves talking about sex. Like, we love talking about it with best friends. Like, if you give them the opportunity, people are really keen to, like, have those conversations. Something that's really funny is people will now come to me for dating advice. Even, like, my friends, and I'll have to, like, you've seen my love life. Like, <laughs> Because I now write for Casper, do you think that like, like oh, you know, what I do is report on sex and dating, but me personally, I'm still an absolute car crash in my own level. No, I relate to that. I'm very good at giving the right advice and then aggressively not following it. <laughs> Just yes. really making some of the worst choices. Do you find ever at times it sort of lends itself to your writing in a way that like there's something to sort of staying out of it at times? Or I guess it's like, how do you stay out of it? Because I guess even choosing to abstain and like be long-term single in a way is like a decision about dating. But personally, so far, no, I haven't chosen to stay out of it. I'm very much in the trenches still. I'm st like, I know the apps are terrible. I'm still on them. Yeah, well, this is it. They're both horrible, but then in some ways, they strangely feel like the correct way to meet people in, in a world that is so digital. And where we have yeah. the convenience of like socialization being in our pocket. But then you also get the downsides of that where so often you scroll Instagram because you're bored. Equally, a lot of the time, you know, I literally was talking to one of my cousins today and she's like, oh, yeah, so I totally sworn off them. And then I got bored the other night and I, I get it. I totally have been there. But I'm also trying to consciously not do that because I'm like, I'm not sure I'm making the right choices when I'm bored, because that's when I'm liking the dumbest memes. It's probably when I'm swiping on the strangest people. That's such a good point. At midnight when I'm on Instagram and then I'm like, oh, well, I'll open the apps. I'm not making good life choices in those moments. Like, why do I think I'm going to match with, you know, the person of my dreams when I'm like kind of sad and bored? I wouldn't like apply for jobs in that. Yeah, absolutely. Unless we're looking for that kind of dopamine hit of, oh, well, what if I get a match, you know, and I think that's so often what it comes down to. And, you know, it's trying to match up the, okay, what are we, what are we actually looking for in terms of level of seriousness, and how we're approaching that. And I wonder if you have experience of this in terms of ethical non-monogamy of 
that's something that's really often mismatched in that space, in my experience, that often you'll have people might kind of seem really serious on the surface and be up for doing the, the whole day and meeting, you know, quite quickly and being very respectful and, you know, mature about everything. And then you get into it and you're like, oh, surprise, they're looking for a one night stand. And it's like, please just show up as who you are. I, and then, then I could choose people I'll actually be compatible with. Yeah, I had this conversation recently, actually, that like, I still very much consider myself like a newbie to non-monogamy. But I've been doing it for like nearly three years now. And like compared to a lot of other people, especially given that it's becoming like so much less taboo and more people are kind of dabbling in it. You do end up meeting a lot of people who've only been doing it like a couple of months or a month. And there's kind of in the same way there's like the baby gay stage. I don't know, you know, like the baby gay stage where like you've just come out and you're overly enthusiastic, but you also don't really know anything. Yeah, all of the enthusiasm, none of the know-how. Yeah, no, I've, <laughs> I've come across that. And also because I, for, for me, that would be something I'd come across in, in gay men, right? And I date people of all genders. And so I'm not necessarily the ambassador to, to show you the ropes anyway, because I'm not, like, I'm not within that subculture. And therefore I'm like, oh no, I'm only able to be an example of what it is to be a relatively heteronormative, open-minded data. Yeah, and there's definitely, like, parallels of, like, people who are new to non-monogamy. Yes. Yeah, no, I've had a lot of that. And I think sometimes it's, like, maybe confidence or being used to talking about dating and relationships. People then assume, and I've had that, that said to my face of, like, oh, well, you, you will have dated so many couples. So, you know, you're no better than us. And I'm like, I don't know where you're getting so many from. <laughs> yeah, and I definitely find, like, there's lots of different styles of doing non-monogamy and just like in queer culture, there's lots of discourse about labels and about different ways of doing things. And so I'll often find meeting people who are quite new to the scene that they haven't quite figured out what their style is, mm-hmm. which is fine. Obviously, it takes time. And, it, you know, your, like the style can change over your lifetime as your needs change and whatever. But it's very frustrating when you're kind of like, I know that I'm looking for a certain type of non-monogamy and certain types of relationships. And people are like, yeah, that's fine. We could totally do that. And then it turns out they are kind of wholly unprepared for like what that might entail. Or you kind of get into a relationship with them or start dating them, thinking you're doing one thing. And then you find out that actually, you know, they were actually looking for something else. They were looking for something more casual or they were also trying to find like a primary partner who they're then going to like suddenly start investing loads more time in. So it's, yeah, know, well, that, I mean, that's like one of my worst nightmares of being having that realization of, oh, I'm a placeholder. Oh, good. Oh, yeah. lovely to find out. Yeah, absolutely. Oh my God, that's such a good way of phrasing it. Yeah, I have the phrasing because I've been there more than once. And <laughs> and tell me this, do you have any thoughts on, on how to do better at that in particular, looking for open relationship dynamics in a way that's consistent with the level of seriousness you're looking for? Yeah, this again was like a steep learning curve for me and something I'm still, I really need to get better at. But like, it sounds so cliche. It is just communication. It is just being like, I want this and I don't want anything else. Or I want this and I want it to progress to this. Or, you know, I'm also doing this with other people. But I would say the opposite of that is listening because I don't know if you've had this experience. I've definitely had this experience where I'm like, I want to do a monogamous relationship and that's all I want 
And what the person hears is like, we are dating casually and non-exclusively for a while, and then it will become serious and exclusive further down the line. And then oh. you get further down the line, and it doesn't, and there's disappointment. I've not had that, but then I'm aware that sometimes the way I talk about relationships can borderline on academic, even in, in general conversation. <laughs> so maybe I give a, across a like very, no, really, I'm sure vibe. Yeah. I need that. That's what I'm missing. It's really tricky, though. And I think you're right. It is communication, but that can be so difficult with this learning curve and also resisting the kind of external factors of being aware that you are dating outside of what is, you know, still very much considered the norm of how relationships sit together and therefore maybe feeling that you need to make certain concessions in order to bridge that gap. That's definitely been a big thing for me where I think I've been too flexible at times when it comes to looking for open relationships because I'm like, oh, well, I'm still figuring this stuff out. So, uh, you know, often the other people that I'm meeting and we're kind of going outside of relationship norms that are established and easier in some ways to follow. And therefore, I have to be open to everything or I'm not doing it right. I definitely feel that. And I think there's another overlap with the queer community. I def- like as a bisexual person and a gender fluid person, I definitely feel like I have made compromises for people because you sort of assume like, well, I don't deserve to get to ask for better than this or... You know, you're already like so far outside of the norm that you're like, and if someone's going to put up with me being bisexual or being gender fluid, I have to make these other concessions. And I think it can feel that way with like non-monogamy as well, that you're like, well, if we've already, you know, we're putting up with the non-monogamy thing, even if they want to do it, you sort of feel like you have to make other compromises. Yeah, absolutely. And it's that important societal line between tolerance and acceptance, right? And it's only one of them that you're actually looking to strive for. And in in striving for it, it's not even like, oh, everyone has to be convinced that open relationships are great and they're for everyone. They're, they're not. I really don't think they are. That's, there's no, no shade to them. They're, they're just not for everyone. And that is totally okay and valid. And there's a way to kind of accept that that wouldn't be for me, but I'm very happy for you. That doesn't mean, you know, that isn't. So, <laughs> Are you getting it now? The fucking going into like getting too academic about this stuff at times. <laughs> but I think it's interesting. I'm insane. It's true, right? That you've you have so much of this stuff to navigate, and there's so many intersectionalities to consider. That you're like this sentence has so many words. Thank God it isn't written down, because <laughs> <laughs> I would have to put in a full stop somewhere. And I also want to pick up on what you said there about the the feeling that you should tolerate less. Because I I hear that from so many people. It's such a tricky place to start off a relationship with of aren't they good to put up with me? Because not only might we put up with all sorts of horrible behavior under that narrative of, oh, it is rational that I'm not treated well or that I'm lucky to be here. But also, you know, it's not putting us in the best position to accept genuine love and believe people that really do care about us and value us for who we are when we're in that headspace. And when you kind of think about relationships in these broad stroke ways, something that I'm noticing a lot more is as we have more conversations around mental health and like personal development, there's increasingly kind of back and forth about when is a good time for people to be in relationships. 
And do you feel there's times when we should be avoiding them because we're not in the right place? Yeah, I think, obviously, like, I'm not a therapist. I've done a lot of therapy. <laughs> Big advocate that if therapy works for you, then, you know, get as much of it as you can. I think, like, there are definitely times when taking step back from relationships, focus on yourself are really important. But I think to flip that narrative, something that I definitely struggle with a little bit, although I say that and anyone listening to this is going to be like, oh, you've been in so many relationships, what are you talking about? Is using that as kind of an excuse to isolate yourself or to avoid like deep connections and intimacy because you're just like, well, I'm focusing on myself. I'm, you know, working on my mental health when actually like there are certain types of things that we can't move through alone, especially like things to do with what we were just talking about, like feeling like you deserve less in relationships or, you know, struggling to connect with people or have that real deep intimacy with people. You can't go away and fix that as like an armchair philosopher and then be like, I'm going to go out and date and everything's going to be easy now. That would be like, you know, only doing the theory side of a driving test. I think you also like have to be, in a way, keeping yourself open to these relationships and like learning from them and understanding that like, they're also a way, a place where you can heal some of these, these issues and like intimacy wounds. I'm not sure how much I like that term, but it's a, a term that's used a lot. And obviously that's not to say go out and find someone and, and use them to like cure your issues because that's not how it works either. But I guess what I mean is just like we can't heal ourselves in a vacuum. And I see a lot of conversation around that kind of, especially on like social media. But we do need like connection and community and intimacy to actually heal and have that kindness reflected back to us. Like you can be as kind to yourself as possible, but... You also need other people to be kind to you and to seek out other people who are going to be kind and gentle and reassuring to, to also help with that. Yeah, I really appreciate that perspective, actually. And yeah, points right there, because it reminds me of how, you know, love is something that I think is very much human, but it's also something that we need to practice loving and being loved and creating healthy dynamics. Yes, isn't something we can do perfectly in theory you know play yeah. play enough kind of sims games in our heads and then be like okay now i'm ready to do it in the real world because if we're doing that we'll probably never be ready there'll never be a point where we're like okay i figured out everything about relationships now let's get into one yeah and i, mean, that- I wish we could just do some <laughs> sims and then be ready <laughs> <laughs> but also neither would even if that was possible i i really don't think it it would be aspirational, right? Because we've definitely met those people, we've seen them on dating apps, or we've met them in real life where they have too much of an idea of the relationship they want. They're all about not this, not that. This person has to look exactly that way. And uh, yeah, I just don't think we can, know. Yeah, and it, it, you sort of end up closing yourself off to new experiences and new perspectives. Like, it's good to know what you want. I have a definite type of person that I'm into and you know I, I know what I want from relationships and what type of relationships I want mm-hmm. but if you're kind of like right I'm only going to look for that type of person and I'm only going to look for those type of relationships I think yeah you do end up like cutting yourself off from the you know, like serendipitous experiences that you could have if you and that doesn't mean like I'll oh, just take a chance on anyone <laughs> but you know yeah just like being open to what comes your way I think is really important yeah being open to being surprised and may I ask what yeah. your type is at the moment I love brunettes <laughs> my friends kind of have 
a, a joke that I don't care about gender as long as you're a brunette with brown eyes. Gender <laughs> irrelevant. Those two things important. Yeah, but you you better have the right shade of hair. You know, you know what? That's funny because I have a similar thing because people ask me that all the time of like, oh, what's your sort of type? And I both am joking, but also sometimes kind of mean this where I'm like, oh, I, I, I don't even have a gender preference. Who would I to be to, you know, decide anything more specific than that? And, you know, obviously I'm joking. It's not a blanket rule. But for me, that actually does feel authentic that that is kind of how I live my life of like, well, I'm open-minded about relationships and I do believe that the best people can come in surprising packages. And also, it's just as well I do think that because I would have been wrong so many times. You know, there's no, there's no identifiable, like, type trends, certainly not in appearance. And then if it's the, the main kind of trends in personality have been doing a bit of that fun trope of like, oh, this person reminds me of my last ex. Maybe it'll be different with that. Of like, yeah, you're <laughs> trying to fix one relationship with another, which I yeah. very consciously don't do anymore. Spiral. Spiraling, exactly. And so I feel quite relieved that as much as I'm here for anyone else trying to figure out, okay, what are their specifics? I have my ideas that are more kind of, yeah, personality based and how I want to be treated, you know, that kind of come from, okay, what am I going to accept? versus what packaging do I expect that person to come with? Because if nothing else, I would have been proved wrong so many times. You know, even certain things like if I'd stuck with a sexuality label, none of the ones I'd considered when I was going through the list and being like, none of these seem quite right, included ethical non-monogamy. So that would have been another example of me being like, oh, well, here I am failing to live up to the stereotypes once more. Yeah, I'm a big I'm a big fan of changing labels and of, being labelless, and obviously, I feel like I should add. Obviously, my type is you know I have some personality things that I'm looking for. Yeah, before your DMs are just flooded with that. Yeah. <laughs> I have no soul, but I do have a brown wig. It, it tends to be that the people with those personality things I'm looking for also always happen to be brunettes. Oh wow! Yeah. Now you've got to tell us. Go on, tell us what what brunettes are always like. <laughs> oh no, no, I just mean the good the, people the, are always brunette. I'll take it. Sure. Yeah, no, okay, yeah, superior. <laughs> and so as we start to wrap up, and ironically, this maybe links to what you just said, you're writing an article at the moment about are the vibes off in dating? Yeah. Tell me about that. The verdict I've got is yes, the vibes are off at the moment. I mean, this might be kind of self-selecting because if you ask people, if you throw out on social media as I have, like, are the vibes off in dating at the moment? You're obviously just going to get people who are like, yes, the vibes are off. Everyone who's dating successfully and having a great time is not on Twitter. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah the, the happy couples are not jumping into that conversation. They're, they're leaving us <laughs> to duke it out. Yeah. I think, like, part of the issue is the apps are really good tools, but everyone sort of has burnout from them. It's just really hyper-vigilant at the moment because we've sort of got this, this culture of, like, you know, you see so many TikToks where people are like, oh, my date did this. And we've got so into the habit of like contentizing. And I say that as someone whose whole job is contentizing relationships. <laughs> yeah, guilty. <laughs> of like contentizing these stories and, you know, accusing everyone else of, of bad behavior with, without maybe reflecting on like our own behavior. But I think everyone just goes into dating and they're just so aware of like, oh, I'm going to get ghosted. I'm going to get stood out. I'm going to blah, blah, blah. Nobody's going into it with the kind of openness that we were just talking about. 
And I also think like the cost of living crisis is obviously having a huge impact. There's already research that has shown that cost of living crisis means people are having worse relationships. People are staying in unhappy relationships longer. And of course, this is really worrying for people who might be in abusive relationships. But also people are having more relationship issues because they're stressed about money. People are, you know, not wanting to go out on dates, not wanting to go to bars or places where they might meet people. And also from the pandemic, it might feel like a long time ago now. But A, it's still ongoing, like COVID is still very much part of our lives. And B, it, it's changed us a lot. It's changed our mindsets. And we have gotten out of practice at meeting people and being around people and knowing how to like communicate and, and deal with difficult conflicts. So I think all of this has is, is culminated in the vibes being off. I think it's spot on. And you've really got me thinking there about, yeah, this link to the pandemic that we were talking off air about. It's weird to still talk about at times because you might feel self-conscious going on about a time that that many people are trying to kind of forget or, or get away from. But it still is a factor. I was interested to see that article of yours recently that the cost of living crisis is a bigger factor in relationships going south than the pandemic was. And I'm not sure whether that like gives me hope that we're getting away from the pandemic or <laughs> gives me trepidation that we've got a, a, a new demon to slay in our dating lives. And so there's a lot for us to navigate. And yeah, we're we're losing a lot of, yeah, not just maybe some of the kind of etiquette or experience, but some of the, the patience. And that doesn't yeah. necessarily lead to us entering the dating space in, in the best mindset of like, so I'm going on this date, they better not waste my time. Because... <laughs> Yeah, you know, I've when, had that thought, and that's such a bad thought to have about someone, right? Yeah, because whether you believe in the law of attraction or not, you know, I do think there is something to the thing that's at the forefront of your mind does tend to be the first thing you notice. So if you're there being like this person's, they're, they're going to give me the runaround or they're, they're, something's going to be bad about this date. And maybe partly that is to do with kind of, yeah, this this feeling of like social trepidation then yeah, there may be certain things where we're like, well, I've decided that's a red flag because I, I said to my flatmate there was going to be one. Yeah, I actually, uh, someone who I interviewed for this article that I'm writing, Hope Flynn, who is like a dating expert, sort of said like, we need to let go of this ick culture. Like we're looking out for icks now. We're looking out for negatives about people rather than looking out for their, you know, are we compatible in this way? Do we connect on this? Yeah. And actually something that, I don't know if you've heard of, Harry Taylor, who wrote A Trans Man Walks Into a Gay Bar. No. But I spoke to him recently for an article about dating, and he said to me, so lovely, I kind of asked about whether some dates had been successful, meaning had they resulted in a relationship. And he said, that's not how I measure success of dates. I measure the success and whether I had a good time and whether I enjoyed that person's company. And I was like, that's just such a nicer way of thinking about dating rather than having to think about it in these like success or failure terms. I think that's so good. Like, yeah. Yeah. Am I, am I just having fun? Did I have a good time? If so, then like, yeah, it was a positive experience. Yeah, it was a positive social experience versus we're, we're not together and therefore it's a complete failure. Yeah, I, th- I yeah. think that's definitely a more optimistic and yeah, probably helpful way of looking at it. I'm going to reflect on that. And then the other thing you mentioned, which I've been dying to talk about, is I think a lot of the problem with the the vibes in dating at the moment is this, you know, kind of finger pointing culture of, you know, 
how do we turn this experience into, you know, whether it's a social media post slash rant or, you know, an anecdote for our friends. You know, I, I really try and check myself of like, okay, have I also been a problem in some of these crazy dating stories? Yes. Because without that, it's like everyone's saying that people are, are ridiculous on dates and then no one's putting up a paw of being like, I've been the ridiculous person. And I don't think that's the way that we solve it, of everyone being like, oh, no, not me. But let me tell you about this person who I definitely went on five dates with, even though they were awful for four of them. And I'm taking no response. You know, <laughs> so often you can see the transparency there. You know, there's loads of times where I could have said, like, I'm sure people have stories about me where they're like, oh, my God, I went on a date with this person and they were so weird, and like annoying and off. I probably came away from that date being like, oh, I, I did really well then. But also... It must have it like, must have happened. Yeah, the amount of dates yeah. where they think it's been great and we're like, ick. Yeah, must have been. This isn't to say that obviously, you know, if you stay in bad relationships, that's your fault because that's such a pervasive narrative. But there definitely is something where I've entertained someone's bad behaviour where far longer than I should have because I tell that it was bad behaviour and then I just kept making excuses for it. And then eventually you sort of say like, well, I knew this isn't what I wanted or I knew this isn't how I wanted to be treated. And I continued to show up in that relationship. So, you know, what do I need to work on for that not to be the case anymore? Yeah, I think there's such power there. I interviewed Josh Jones, the comedian recently, and he told me a story about being on this kind of awful only beginning of a date. And at one point the guy turned around to him and was like, wait, was that you making an excuse to get out of it? And initially he said no. And then he was like, you know what, actually it was. And I'm just going to go now. And I was there like silently in the, on the Zoom, just like, yeah. Like, <laughs> I love it. So on that note, we'll start wrapping up with our rules of the game. So in all of the ridiculous scenarios we've discussed in the, the weird vibes of dating, what's, what's one thing we can do to make things a little bit? easier, brighter, more successful, however you're defining it. It sounds so lame, but just have fun, I think. Stop taking it so seriously. You might meet the love of your life. You might have great sex. You might go to a restaurant and have a terrible date, but you have really great food. And then you go to that restaurant with your friends at different time, and you wouldn't have known about the restaurant otherwise. So I think that is my plan for dating from now on. It's just have more fun with it. Use it as an excuse to try out a new lipstick. I don't know. Take it less seriously. Yeah, well, that's it. <laughs> if, if that's how you're measuring it, of I had an excuse to wear this lipstick, then you've won before you've even left the house. Exactly. That's great. And I'm going to amend a previous perspective of mine, inspired by Harry, who mentioned that, where I'm someone that definitely in the past has done that thing of the date is going badly and it's felt easier to just go along with it than to leave. And previously I've said leaving is probably the thing. And now I'm wondering if actually going along with it and if you can find a way to enjoy it, even if you know that it's it's going to be the last time you see this person already, then maybe that's totally fine too. Yeah, but I also think if you prioritise just like having fun and not having an outcome in mind, that maybe will make things easier to leave. Because I've definitely stayed on dates of like, well, I'm not having a good time, but on paper this person seems really compatible. <laughs> if I just keep trying, where's actually if I'm like, well, I'm just not having fun and I don't want to stay at this date anymore, 
I think that would make it easier to be like, I'm not having a good time. You don't seem like you are having a good time. Let's just call it. Yeah, I love that. I love that and how it's also a polite way of you being like, yeah, maybe think less. And I'm like, no, no, you found out my kryptonite. I can't do that. (laughs) All right, we'll wrap up there. Thank you so much, Lo. If people want to find your work, they can go to Cosmopolitan UK online. They can search your name. That seemed to bring up all the articles for me. Thoroughly recommend the ones we've referenced today. Where else can they find you? I have a book which is called by the way oh my god i should know the full title of my book <laughs> oh no it's called by the way the bisexual guide to life i think but if you just search by the way you'll find it mm-hmm. uh, you can find me on twitter and at low sharing on twitter and you can find me on instagram where i'm lowest faith 95 because I love to have a coherent social media presence to make it easy for people to find me. (laughs) Yeah, slash, you know, do do the background research on it. How how old are you without me having to ask? Because (laughs) we've all lost our social skills if we've established anything in this conversation. (laughs) Yeah, I'm actually my birthday tomorrow. I'm going to be 28 tomorrow. Oh, how fun. Well, happy birthday for that. I was about to say congratulations, and then that that would have sounded like I was surprised that you were still with us. Oh, dear. All right, let's wrap up because I'm tired before I say anything else stupid. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. For the full experience, you can join our subscription on Apple Podcasts to access extended ad-free episodes. Our show is edited and produced by Pete Murta. The music is Digital Damage by me, Emma Becco. We're proud to be an independent production. And leaving a quick review is another way to support the show. Speak to you next Friday. Until then, good good luck luck out out there. there.